couple things. We had a great time last uh, evening. Uh, some team uh, from the church here uh, were a part of serving at Arcades, and we just want to say thank you to you guys for serving and just being a part of that. And well done. We were able to serve like 200 meals yesterday, which was great. And so we're going to continue to partner with some local stuff here. But if you want to join in on some of these things, we would love just extra hands. I know one of the things that Arcade wants right now is a little bit of help just on a monthly basis. And so we're just discerning if we can pull that off with some different teams. But well done. Thank you. The other thing is youth is going really well. Our youth community meets Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. at Village Green, and they're having a great time just, uh, just gathering together weekly uh, with Village Green Youth, and it's been so wonderful just to see what's happening there. So w- thank you for those of you that are participating, and if you have kids uh, or anybody you know that is looking for kind of a community in grades 5 all the way up to grade 12, I think, right? All the way up to grade 12, um, just let us know. We'd love to get them connected in some, some way. And then the other thing is, I don't know if you can fire it up, Manny. Um, so we're in a series right now called, Is It Worth It? And one of the things that we're doing is we're just wrestling through whether this whole church thing after a global pandemic and all sorts of shifts in our culture is really worth it. And so that combined with, I'm teaching a course at Master's College and Seminary on Christian, like Christian, uh, what's it called? Mission in post-Christian Canada. And so we just around all sorts of people wrestling through these questions. We're wrestling through it on Sunday. And uh, I'm connected to a guy at McMaster Divinity College. His name is Lee Beach. And so Lee and I have decided to invite some of the students from that course, but as well, anybody that wants to join us next Monday evening online, all you got to do is like, you don't even have to wear pants. It's awesome. You're good. You're good to go. Did you know that I saw somebody in a meeting this week who he was doing an interview on like a sports radio thing and he was on Zoom and then he had to make a movement and then they realized he was in his boxer shorts and he just like, he was confronted that he was in his boxer shorts doing this like national interview. Anyways, wear pants, but you don't have to like come to a building. Uh, Next Monday, November 1st is at 8 p.m. We're just going to have a talk around the church in post-Christian Canada, but as well in a pandemic-shaped world. Lee wrote a great book called Church in Exile, and we had him here a few years ago, and he just shared with us. And we're just going to develop this. Basically, we're going to talk church in Canada for an hour, and he is really, if you can use the word expert, that would be kind of him, and so I just want to pick his brain. So if you want to join us, it's going to be super, super laid back. Join us at 8 p.m. And the other thing is this. We got birthdays. We have bir- we, like, we had a 40th birthday a few weeks ago. We have birthdays at Praxis Church, like three of them on the same day, which is pretty cool for especially a smaller community. It is my wife Heather's birthday, and yes, like she's, yeah, I would never, you know, want to embarrass her, but it's great that she's turning 29 <laughs> and stuff. Adam, your birthday? Now you are turning 29. Is that the legit number? Okay, so uh, we all envy you and... Uh, and uh, little Gendrosh, I know she's not here this morning, Olive, but uh, it's great to um, have her birthday. Um, w- give us the number, Manny. Three. I knew it was three. So we have a third birthday, a 29th birthday, and we'll just leave it at that, right? It's good. But a uh, happy birthday to you guys. We're, uh, it's an exciting day. It's great. Um, like I said, we're just, I've so much on my mind and my heart this fall for leading the, this community through what I feel is like the most important, one of the most important questions we can ask. Is this whole church thing, is it really worth it? 
And we've looked, we've kind of laid the foundation and built some blocks over the last number of weeks. First of all, church is a gathering. According to the New Testament, church is a gathering together. As much as we want to make it an identity piece, first and foremost, in the language of the New Testament, church is a gathering. Church is for formation that we believe in every other area of our lives that practice and formation mean something. But when we come to the discussion around church, often what we do is we're just like, oh, it's bo- we need to spice it up. Like, I love, like, the current church moment right now. Where it's like, maybe we need, like, lights and a fog machine and to get this thing really humming so people will come. And those of us that are pastors, like, in the real world are like, we just, we know that that's probably not going to solve our problem. That one of the things that church does is when we sing and we celebrate, when we read the Psalms together, When we come to the table, in a couple minutes, we're going to come to the table. You're going to get out of your seat, and you're going to move. And yes, it's a prepackaged wafer and juice, but we do believe there's something powerful and formative. As your kids watch lessons and engage and and learn with each other, there's something happening. We don't do this with other areas. We don't say things like, oh, you know what? Brushing my teeth is boring or unimportant, right? We do it even when we don't feel it because we know it does something in us for the greater good. And we often don't view church as that. So we've been trying to just put it on the table. Um, what I want to do this morning is I want to actually really talk about something quickly that is very, I would say, close to my heart. When we talk about the church, we've talked about preference and how this, the church is this eclectic place where people come from all places and stages. One of the things we're trying to push against, even though we're a younger community, is this kind of monolithic way of gathering. We would love to be not only multicultural, but intergenerational. And there is nothing like the church in its moment that has the power to influence the generations to come, like God's people together. There's just nothing, there's nothing like it. And as we've kind of you know, mapped out what we, the key things we've wanted to talk about this fall, I just keep coming back to the way that God's people have worked together and what they were called to as far as an intergenerational community and what that meant for them. And now that kind of as a type and shadow, if you're with me, for what the church is supposed to be in its current moment. Brothers and sisters, hear me. We need each other more than ever in a world that is so just polarized around everything And now it seems like people want to kind of get in their echo chambers and enclaves with people just like them. We have to resist kind of the empire. We have to resist that temptation. And one of the things that is very important when we talk about the life of the church is this intergenerational leading the next generation in the way of Jesus. And some of you are like, yeah, like I'm 19 and I'm at college or university. Um, I think that applies to all of us in this room, thinking about Uh, the next generation that's coming along. Now, you okay? With that said, I'm gonna do something they probably tell you in preacher school not to do. I'm gonna this morning, and I know Laura did this too, she stole my thunder, I'm gonna read an entire chapter of the Bible. Now, we'll give you a moment, if you wanna leave, you can leave. We will all probably judge you because we are a church. Oh, oh, just joking, We we would never do that. We would never do that. But you can leave if you want, we won't judge you. But if you have a Bible, why don't you open with, open with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a very popular, if you've been around the Bible, this is a very popular passage of Scripture. Uh, Deuteronomy is interesting along with the Torah, especially for people in the 21st century. This is millennia away from us. And um, there's some things we wrestle through. Obviously, what, one of the things that's happening is God is 
has the law that's kind of come through Moses to the community of people. And now this law is kind of over them, leading them and guiding them. And so there's laws about social justice and how they're to care for each other, how to, ultimately how to, how to live this out as a community together. And one of the things that you see in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is the importance of the community and uh, the generations to generation and what that means for them. And so with that said, let me read it. I'm going to read quick, okay? It's not too long, I promise. It says this. Uh, Verse one, these are the commands, decrees, and the laws that the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all the decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. So ultimately, the picture here is if we're going to obey this, this is for your good Uh, that you would grow up to kind of serve God, to live in the way of God. This is what it's all about. Uh, Verse three, hear Israel and be careful to obey that. It may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, uh, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Verse four, hear, O Israel, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on who? Your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, uh, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards of olive groves you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery." Almost there, verse 13. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take your oaths in his name. Do not follow other gods, the gods of the peoples around you. For the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God, and his anger will burn against you, and he will destroy you from the face of the land. Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Massa, but be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, so that it may go well with you, and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, thrusting out all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. One little paragraph. You're doing so good. I'm just so proud of you all. You're just hanging in there so good. Some of you are like, squirrel, I get it. I understand, (laughs) but you're doing good. Verse 20, in the future, this is important. Listen to what, listen. In the future, when your sons or your daughters ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations and all these decrees and laws that the Lord our God has commanded you? Tell them we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt. This is why we tell them. But the Lord actually brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land promised on oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all the decrees and to fear the Lord our God so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as in this case today. 
And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. Now, I don't know if you catch it here. I mean, obviously, this is Israel's story, millennia away from us. A community of people that are nomads, they're sojourning. Um, obviously, they've gone through this just epic uh, ex- just experience of coming through the Red Sea and out of slavery as they've been under an oppressive king for 400 years, a guy named Pharaoh. And deep in their bones, one of the things that they did as a community, if you know the, the Jewish community, is they were just always in the minority. Their enemies were always up against them. And so one of the things they had to be in this community was resilient in their practices in their community together. And I don't know if you catch it here, but what you get here is like a full, think about it. Think that, the reason why I wanted just to read this and kind of have you listen and read along because I don't know if you catch it, you get a full sensory experience in passing on the way of God from one generation to another. Did you, did you feel it a bit? Like the sights and the sounds, the remembering, the meals, the, the, the commands, the telling, the listening, the hearing, the embodying, it's all right here. And though it's a couple, obviously a few millennia away from us, I do think that this speaks to us in our current moment of what the church can embody from generation to generation. And there's like three senses that kind of pop up here. One is they heard. One of the calls for people in the community is to actually speak the story of God to the next generation of people, that part of this call is to listen. So you know the great Shema, some of you have heard this, you know this, it's called the Shema, hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and what are you to do? Love the Lord your God with your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These are the commandments I give to you. And then the writer goes on and says, talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Legit, even today, if you were to go to the Upper East Side, there would be people in that culture that when they would wake up, they would say the Shema together. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, and strength. When they would walk out the door, the doorposts would be a reminder for the community as they would begin to walk the road. Love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, and strength. As they would eat together, remember the the great Shema. Love the Lord your God with your heart, your soul, and strength and your strength, when they would lie their kids to bed, the prayer over them, four, five, six times a day, the Jewish community, even to this day, enters into this. You know, what's interesting here is that the word hear is translated in Hebrew, it's the word shema, and we translate it in English as hear or listen, but what I love about this word shema, it, it traces all through the Old Testament, and sometimes it's translated as those things, but oftentimes it's translated as obey, which is a radical reshaping of the way we think in the Western world because we think when we hear something, we just hear it. In the Jewish mind, in the Hebrew mind, when you heard something, it meant that you embodied it, you obeyed. And so one of the things that happens in passing on kind of the ways of Jesus to the next generation is that we use the sense of hearing. We become pastors on of this great story and the community becomes a listening community. It blew my mind a few years ago to learn that in the Jewish community what would happen is these kids would literally learn Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy by heart. 
Can you imagine? I can't, like, we did scripture memory. We're doing scripture memory, I'm sure, this morning on the lesson. You know, these verses come up, one-off verses. Think about learning the Torah by heart. It's mind-blowing. I can't even remember what I ate for breakfast. I didn't eat breakfast this morning, but you know what I'm saying. Like, think about that. Just the, the world you are immersed in. The bar is a little lower today. Can I get an amen from my kids, all right? It's good. But you know what's fascinating is... Sometimes when we think that they knew the, the scriptures, especially these guys that knew it by heart from Genesis to Malachi, it was an oral culture. It was interesting. It's not that they knew how to write it out as much as they knew how to tell the story. And this is what it means to pass on to the next generation. We are a community of great storytellers that tell the, the goodness, the glory, the miracles of God, and we pass it on to the next generation. And as I, heard, as I got a vision of these kids that would know how to speak out these scriptures, it wasn't necessarily going to scripture and verse as much as it was being able to tell the great themes of their redemption. I just think how important that is for us. Talk about it when you leave your house, when you wake up, when you lie your head, when you put your kids to sleep. Talk about it. And here's the thing. I think many of us, we've been talking, many of us have been feeling the great shift. Even before COVID, the great shift in our city, in our country, towards post-Christian, a post-Christian posture. And with that has come, I think at times, um, a lack, no, and there's no judgment here. You know I love you. Can you all just nod your head behind your mask? You, you know I love you. Has come like a little bit, just a little wee bit, even before the pandemic, of inconsistency when it comes to people gathering regularly for church. No judgment, okay? But what's fascinating when we talk about the storytelling nature of the church is parents, if we're not gonna, if we're not gonna gather regularly, it will take a lot of storytelling in our daily lives to pass on to the next generation what they need. Is church worth it? Oh, baby, it, it is absolutely worth it because this is a house of learning. Like, don't, don't, don't neglect to think through what we're doing here, what our kids are doing here, and what is happening in every sense in our bodies. You know, we sell ourselves short because I, 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 I walk with people at times who will go, man, the Bible thing in the ancient Near East and the first century culture, it's just so, like, out there, and it's sometimes hard to grasp, and I empathize with that 100%. Sometimes there are things, you know, I read a law, Ava and I are reading through the Bible, we read a law this week, don't boil a goat in its mother's milk. You know, like, really, tips for life. You know how we love to, like, make the Bible applicable? Just make sure you don't, you know, boil your goat in its mother's milk. But it's, fa I got some, somebody's laughing. This is great. This is awesome. I feel so good. It's good. Um, I got thinking, though, listen, we do this with other stuff. Uh, I hurt my back a few years ago, and during that, I've told you guys this, I had an opportunity to watch every Star Wars movie with my boys, every single one. And I pulled out a piece of paper, and I mapped out for them the canon of Star Wars. I told them which one goes where. Tim, you're going to like this, bro. I told them years of release that actually like, you know, four, five, six is actually, it was really one, two, three, and now there's prequels and sequels and we mapped it all out and everybody just nodded their head like they got it. Here's what we do with the scriptures. We sell ourselves short when it comes to learning. Oh, it's complex. And yet I know what happened in Harry Potter 8 with Professor McGonagall, right? Like it's crazy how we can know these things deep within us and it's important to understand that we often sell ourselves short when it comes to the experience of listening. Talk about it with them. Sit at home, 
when you walk the road, when you lie down, when you get up. But not only listening or hearing, isn't it interesting that part of Israel's story was tasting? Isn't this, it, it just blows my mind how the people of God, and then the early church took this on, were always people of bread. Always people of bread and wine. Listen to verse 10 again. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses with, filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vine, vineyards of olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat, you're going to be satisfied. That part of actually one of the ways in which we pass the ways of God on to the next generation and we embody this together is we taste the goodness of God. We taste it. It's not just a mental ascent in our head like, oh, you, you did the Sunday school checkbox, all right, you like get into the good place, whatever that is, right? This is much deeper than that, that we actually taste it. This is why in a couple minutes, you're going to come to the bread and the cup and we are going to taste salvation. A shot of grape juice, a wafer, it's a way for us. And this just lines up with what Israel did. Over and over, the way in which they were told to remember was through Passover. Every year, you're supposed to shut things down, and you are supposed to eat this meal together at this festival. And anybody had a Passover Seder meal? Anybody here? A few of you, right? Like every little element in that meal retells the story of what God did for Israel. Why? Because we forget, right? We remember things we should forget and we forget things we should remember. This is what it means to be human. And so to be a follower of Jesus, one of the things we do is we actually taste when we eat meals together, when we come to the table, it's a reminder that we actually taste the kingdom of God. You know, for years we thought the solution would be bright lights and smoke and like, let's get everybody in. And listen, I think there's some, there's some, some genuineness in that posture. But I think many of us are realizing now, years and years after all that stuff, that there's something better, that we can taste God's kingdom. And this is why you trace the life of Jesus and all he's doing, you know what, he's, you know what his mission strategy was, Jesus' mission strategy? Was eating meals. That's what he did. You just found him at the table with a large meal, eating with people reclining at the table. And then, of course, the last thing he leaves his followers is what? The Lord's Supper, right? Obviously, he tells them to go into the world, but he eats with his disciples and says, listen, you're just going to carry this on. And so more than like really good strategy and like really good planning meetings, probably what the next generation needs, especially after COVID, is people that are just gonna, a community that can, they can taste it. They can eat together, that we taste salvation together, that every meal we would eat together would just be remembering. This has been a little disorienting for us because in our home, we, uh, our community, our practice community would eat regularly together. And just some of the loss of not being able to do that has actually been part of the story here, right? Like we can't do this because one of the things we do is we eat together and we taste. So brothers and sisters, they heard, they listened. That's how they pass it on. They tasted through these festivals, through Passover, through these meals together, a way of remembering God's goodness and what he's done for them. And they saw, they saw, right? What they experienced in community was ultimately modeled in the community. Listen, listen again to the writer. 
uh, verse 17. Be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees he's given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you. And then listen, I already, I've read this, but I know. In the future, when your sons and daughters ask you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws that the Lord has commanded you? Tell them, and then it goes on, and they are to retell the story of God delivering them out of the hand of Pharaoh. So listen, we, we see and we hear. Some people will say, well, you know, this whole church thing and discipleship thing is caught, not taught. I would push back on that and say, it's probably both. It's probably taught. There's a sense of learning. There's a sense of embodied learning together. And there's a sense where we catch it, where it's modeled within our community. And it's just fascinating here that in community, that you read in Deuteronomy 6 that this type of walking together intergenerationally, what does it do? It prompts questions. This is what it does. It prompts the next generation asking questions. And I just want to remind us, for those of us that are maybe a little older in this room, that the next generation is watching us. They're watching everything that we do. It's seen, it's tasted, but it's also it's modeled. You hear, but you also, you see and you experience. And that's why there's such, and especially as a pastor dude, I know this now, right? Like that you can live one way at home, right? And I grew up in a pastor's home, so I have a little bit of experience like this. But imagine them growing up in a particular type of home, but seeing something completely different up here. It just screws people up. You with me? Because what we do is, is modeled and it prompts questions, right? Like why? Why on earth would we rush on a Saturday afternoon amongst everything else to go and serve a meal. Well, I'm glad you asked, right? Because it's seen, it's experienced. Why on earth would we, why, Dad, why would we shape our lives around a church community on a Sunday morning? Like why, well, I'm glad you asked. Why do we take time, whether it's at home, you know, to have these discipling moments? Well, I'm I'm glad you asked because a type of modeling kind of within a community works towards provoking questions. And brothers and sisters, we are, uh, can you nod your head with me? We are open to these questions and wrestling through and leading. So I just want to remind us, I guess, as we talk about this massive question, is it worth it? Just to have the next generation in our minds, in our hearts. And that's for every single person in this room, every single one of us no matter how old we are, thinking about intergenerational ministry and creating a place and space here. And it's sensory. It's all about us learning and growing together. It's all about us tasting and experiencing God together in community. But brothers and sisters, it's about our lives modeling for each other that this could be worth it. One of the things, one of the shifts I think is we're gonna come to the table here. One of the shifts I, I, I'm really bought in on is that as things have really shifted through COVID, things are, I already said, are gonna be, I think, uh, increasingly are going to grow as very monolithic. And what I mean by that is communities primarily now are gonna be based on people that think the same and look the same and kind of act the same and are kind of interested in the same things or whatever. I think the mind-blowing, mind-bending thing, the apologetic that we're gonna live into is that we're multicultural going to grow in multiculturalism, and we are going to be multi-generational in a way that's going to say to the world, this, what we do, is different. 
And so I want us to posture ourselves for that. Is it worth it? Man, everything you do this morning to influence the next generation, every word, every song, everything that we do, it deeply, it deeply matters. You with me?